Wait, I can't time out. Every time Actually, you put on the headphones without a hat? Yeah, I feel naked. Okay. Well, you have You're worried about official. sunburn? I'm always worried about sunburn. Are you kidding? <laughs> there you go. He doesn't go in the sun. Yeah. No, I go in the sun. I just I lather up. You guys are on Long Island. Like, we got the, the best beaches. Out. We really do. You know why? I would we say it's, it's it's the Amalfi Coast and South Shore of Long no, Island. No, 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 but like in on... That's fair. <laughs> but in the Northeast, we have a beach that's perpendicular to the coast. So, all right, so think about the coastline. Basically, the sun is going oh, over yeah, your yeah, head. Oh, yeah, 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 Right? Yeah, Holy yeah. shit, I never thought about that. So, uh, yeah, it, I never thought about that. So either. it rises, you're facing it, but then if you're okay. in the beach and you're facing east... By noon, it's right over your head, and then the rest of the day, it's behind you. So what do you do? Turn that, that's why you, away you from don't the... move to New Jersey. Right. Where no. did you grow up? In Connecticut. Okay. Uh, where in Connecticut? Uh, I'm from New Canaan. Okay. Real rough. Headfo- headphones on. Yeah. Rough. Uh, but I live in Westport now. Wait, oh, what okay. do you mean real rough? Oh, you were joking. The mean streets <laughs> of New Canaan? Yeah, it's it's a real pick. Pull yourself up on the uh, bootstraps. What's the big story? difference between New Canaan and Westport? Westport's like Martha Stewart land, right? Not anymore. She moved to Bedford. Oh, okay. Uh, it's it's a little more diverse. Yeah, right. It's not a Lily Pulitzer magazine. Okay. Uh, Westport's okay. more diverse. More diverse, oh, yeah, okay. for sure. My, my wife's from California. She's from the Bay Area. Nice. And she was just like, I can't. <laughs> I can't with this. I, yeah, this is too much. <laughs> uh, John, I'm having an emergency. Yes. My computer is out of power. That is an... Oh. Let's get your record. Uh, I have one in my office if we don't have one here. I have one in my bag. But do we have? Well, but I guess the question is, will it plug in? Because I have this other stuff. Did you guys hear about Jimmy oh, Khan? I have one extra port. Yeah, he died. Yeah, passed away. End of tweet. End of life. Sad. He was the best. How old was he? Eighty-two. Okay. He had a good run. He, great run. He he was he, he was like a one of a kind type of guy. He did a podcast with Mark Maron a couple years ago. Okay. Like two hours of stories about The Godfather. Okay. Just a maniac of a guy in the best way possible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We went to see The Godfather in a theater. Oh, like yeah. Two months ago. They put it for the 50th anniversary. I can't believe it's 50 years old. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of depressing. So, 1972. So, they put it back in two theaters, and one of them was in Queens. Okay. So, we went, and um, my wife had never seen the movie. <laughs> and the guy I was with, his wife never saw it either. Okay. And they were like, Oh my God. That was like, they were like, oh, fine, we'll go. Josh and Aaron want to go. This is going to suck, whatever. Yeah, How yeah. long is it? Three hours. They were like, oh my God. That was an amazing movie. I think this has to go amazing. on this side. And then later in, in the later, he did like Elf. He was a buddy of the Elf's dad. Yes, he was. He could, he could do it all. That, that's a fan favorite. Every holiday season. It's, it's working. You ever see Thief? No. That was a good one. Caillou? No. I'm Josh? Trying, uh... He was in Mickey Blue Eyes. You've seen Thief? Hugh Grant. Yeah, I saw yeah. Thief. He was in the movie with uh, Mickey Hugh Blue Eyes, Grant. Right. He's like I never uh, saw that. He's like a mob boss. Oh, we have, wait, we have something we have to do. Yeah, can, I, can I have you hug the table a little more? Down I'm trying to... Just a little bit. Yep. I was trying to think, of what what are the other movies he's known for? Um, All the, he's, dude, he's like a 50-year he so career. He was in Eracer. So That's like a random, a random one. <laughs> okay. uh, not a very good Arnold movie. Thanks. Uh, Oh, Misery. That was his big one. Oh, yes. Yeah, that was incredible. Where's Nicole? Misery was very uh, good. Somebody locate Nicole. He's done so many movies. What else? Oh, um, what was the, at the sports movie? Any Given Sunday? No, or? no, no. Uh, uh, which one was he in? Oh, Bri- oh Brian's song. Nicole, we have something for you. Oh, my Wait, God. Wait, uh, we're not going to turn the lights off, obviously, but we'll, we'll do our best. Not Brian's song. 
Okay. Do we sing? Is anybody going to sing? No. Happy birthday to Nicole. We're not going to sing? I don't want to It's up to you. But is it bad luck if she blows out the candle without the song? Okay, Probably. Just sing the song. Is it like less classy that I left it in the plastic case? No, it's cute. No, it looks great. It looks okay? Okay. Can I, I'll just, I'll speak the song. Nobody wants to hear me sing. Okay. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Nicole. Happy, Happy birthday. birthday. All right. Thank now make you. a wish. Okay. Wow, you really thought about that. <laughs> Did you wish for uh, higher interest rates? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, I think you're gonna get your wish. Uh, very, very soon, actually. Happy birthday, happy birthday, Nicole. John, how are we looking on time? Yeah, we're close. Kai, did you tell? Did you tell anybody about uh, how much fun we had in uh, Austin? Well, Mike was saying. <laughs> Mike missed. Mike missed that night. You missed out, Six, man. Sixth Street. No. Where? Uh, oh, it was on Second, I think, where you guys were. Went out to dinner. And we were drinking um, ranch waters. Oh, yeah. You know yeah. what that is? I, I, I do. I do. Uh, I learned. <laughs> they become very popular. <laughs> I never just heard learned of what it. it was for the first time. What's a vodka? Nope. What is it? It's uh, Blanco tequila. Uh huh. And it's beer? It's Topo Chico. You know what that is? Isn't it's it like just a, carbonated water? It's like fancy yes, mineral but it's, water. But it's like, it's like Mexican and it's got minerals in it. So, All it's, right, like, so it's like a Texas Moscow mule. It's a. No. <laughs> yes. That's exactly what it's, it's like. It's like a tequila soda. Yeah. But it's, then, uh, yeah, it's like a tequila soda. Tequila soda, but with a special kind of soda and a lime. And it has a way cooler name than tequila soda. What's it called? Ranch water. Ranch water. Okay. So I had, how many do you think I had? Six? A few. <laughs> Lost count. Plural. <laughs> so the dude, David, that we were with, uh, and we, en- we ended up, we ended up having a few more at the hotel and he's like, this is like the best night ever. I'm like, stick with me, kid. You know? <laughs> That was that was fun, and Hunt came out for that. Nice, was good, yeah. It was a good, good time. Guy. I like him. It was a good time. Yeah, they become very popular. The ranch water. Why yeah. do you think that is? Because it, just it's puts all more the... people going to Austin. No, I, I think it's just it's a low cal. It's part of like everyone well, drinks vodka point. sodas. Mm-hmm. It's like Tito's and soda. There's it's no like calories in the mix. No calories. Yeah. Mm. No um, one drinks beer anymore. Besides me. Yeah. It's like no one actually thinks hard seltzers taste good, right? It's just they're zero they don't calorie. Taste good. Or, no, you know what does legitimately taste good are the high noons. Yeah, like those are dangerous because they don't taste like alcohol at all. I never had one of those. You would love it, uh, but I don't like the. I don't like. It doesn't have like that. I weird, don't like Trulies. It does or not truly suck. Clothes. It doesn't have that weird taste. Okay, um, are you on the barstool payroll or? Um, Do we have a sponsorship yet? What, with high noon? what, what is their <laughs> what is their relationship to High Noon? I don't know. I just feel like they're always advertising them. I'm sure it's a monetary relationship. Uh, all right, we are not sponsored by High Noon. We do have a sponsor, which we'll find out. Very shortly. All right, this is the Happy Birthday Nicole Show. What episode is this, John? Say it. This is the Compound of Friends episode fifty-four. Oh my wow. God! Welcome to the Compound and Friends. All opinions expressed by me, Michael Batnick, and our castmates are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. 
Today's show is brought to you by Peak Housing REIT. A couple of weeks ago on Animal Spirits, Ben and I spoke with Joe Alice about the single-family rental market. Josh, what do you know about this? The single-family rental market? I actually own some stocks that are single-family rental REITs. Okay, well, you could do better. So the Peak Group owns 1,850 homes. They're in seven markets, four states. They've got a focus. I, mean, I don't know if you call this a niche, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Okay. You bullish on that? Sort of. We spoke about the Cowboys depends on today's show. Of, depends on the price of oil. <laughs> All right. So the Peak Housing Group, they've got $110 million in equity from, from LPs. You could own a piece of the real estate market without managing properties, which I've, I've learned is kind of a pain in the ass. So I actually think this is a mega trend. People that are not, I don't want to say forced to rent, but people who decide to rent don't want to necessarily live in an apartment building and don't necessarily want to deal with a single um, a single operator who owns one or two houses. I totally agree. I don't know what the single family rental market is in terms of, I'm sure it's tiny at this point. It's tiny, but growing very fast. Yeah. So, ba- so basically you can rent a house from a corporation. They are spreading their cost out across all of these homes and they can provide all these other services, everything from entertainment systems to uh, alarms to landscaping. Ring? And, you want yeah. a ring? So all of a sudden, you're not dealing with 80 vendors to be in a home. You're dealing with one company that's doing it all for you. I think it's the future. To learn more, go to thepeak.group. 54. How about that? <laughs> what do you think? That's 54's long. Yeah, and there's the plaque. Guys, uh, this is like a very big show now. I don't know what was the latest stats. Like, where was our placement in the investing podcasts? To we're we, like a big we've, show. We've hit number seven. Number seven. Who's on, one through on Apple? Who's one through six? All Dave Ramsey. It's basically, no, for real. No, I'm I mean for kidding. real. It's it's Dave Ramsey. I think maybe a Motley Fool and Susie Orman, something like that. Uh-huh. Big, but we're like we're in the Susie Orman league. We're I think that I feel like that's the big time. Yeah, you know, people right? call me the no. What? As, I don't know. The Susie nothing Orman came, nothing, of nothing. finance? I think she's the Susie the Orman. The male yeah, Nothing came to me. Nothing came to me. Anyway, it's a very big show, so be on your best behavior, we'll I think best. is what I'm trying to say. All Wait, right. hold on. De- uh, Brendan's got a notepad. What's going on? What's with the notepad? Um, old school. Like, I got to write it down. <laughs> Are you going to be taking notes while we're recording? Hold on. If you say something really... Just, just do... It's, wait. Yeah. What, it's what a, do you have it's taped, a blank? What do you have the notepad? What is that? This is my child. Well, well. so knowing you guys are like historical... No, no, no. Uh, follow me here. You guys are historians of finance. Sure. We sure are. So last, right we are. last week was the 25th anniversary of something. Mm. All right, let me can do the you, math. Can you think of what it was? 25 years ago. Oh, LTCM. I uh, was going to say Stone Temple Asian Pilots contagion. broke up. Yes. Okay. But something like the, the trigger was the Thai bot devalue. Sure. That was July 2nd, 25 It got, it got depegged. Depegged. And that's like why I, you brought your homework. Wait, so okay. Well, so, just because like the numbers are crazy. Hey, hold it up so we could see. What? Literally, show us that. So you can't see that. <laughs> All right, it's incredible. In, from peak to trough. So this is the ninety-seven high to the ninety-eight low. Indonesia and in USD terms lost ninety-two percent. Malaysia eighty-seven. Wait, what are you talking about? The currency? No, stock market. Stock market. Oh, wow. Stock market. Uh, Thailand eighty-five. Philippines eighty-one. South Korea seventy-nine. Wow. Uh, South Korea Singapore, lost 80% 60, of its value. 63, Hong Kong 60, Taiwan 50. How long did it take for those to recover? So some of them haven't. <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of crazy thing is some of them. And all of that was because of uh, currency contagion is what sparked that whole thing? Well, policy error, yeah. mismanagement at the government level. It was three hours capital. 
They're yeah, yeah. hot money came in, <laughs> left. <laughs> Three arrows got involved. Uh, it was, Nothing uh, good happens from there. But it was, uh, you know, it was an epic disaster. So I thought, you know, you guys love his financial history. Like, I don't think you'd we do. It, You're saying so. that was 25 years ago today or this uh, week? July 2nd. Huh. Where was I 25 years ago today? 97? Maybe preparing for my bar mitzvah? In no. 1997? When I was 12. You were at a Google Doll show, for sure. No, Front I row. did not do Google Dolls Front row. at all. Spin doctors. Mouthing the words to Black Balloon. No, no doubt. I know where you were. <laughs> no doubt was hot when I was 12. No doubt. Okay. Uh, what have we learned from that crisis? Nothing. No, I mean, I think, you know, for today, you talk what about po potential for policy error from the government, right? What did, they do, what did they do wrong that prolonged uh, the problem or caused the problem? Well, they had all issued dollar-denominated debt. Which is hard fund, to pay back in a crisis. And then, yeah. you know, you lose your currency. You can't, you can't afford to pay it back. So you basically, yeah, you're ruined. Now, you issue dollar-denominated debt because it makes it more marketable to the potential buyers. Correct. Okay. But then the downside of that is you owe dollars. Right. <laughs> so when you're in a currency crisis, that turns it into a spiral. No bueno. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's exactly. no way out. It's uh, the – yeah, it's the we're, this is the compound show. This so that's the compounded pain. Oh, I wanted I want to intro you guys before we get. Uh, I mean, we're already in Thailand, and I haven't had a chance to do this. Uh, Brendan Hearn, who has a voice, who you have a great uh, radio really, voice. Yeah. I feel yeah. like right. I, have you been told this before? Uh, face for radio, yes. No, no, no. That's not what I said. That's me. It's only you. Okay, you have voice. a very like. Uh, how do how to explain it? You have good inflections. Is that, is that baritone? What is that? Uh, yeah, yeah. What what are you working with there? Is that a baritone? Uh, you, you know, you, you know. If, if you need me to do some intros for you, like we can talk offline. Okay, uh, <laughs> we're gonna have you do some drops. He'll be our announcer, a la George Takei. All right, but yeah. your real job is the CIO at Crane Shares, where you lead uh, research and education efforts and focus on China and emerging market growth. You're also a leading commentator on investing in China. And you write, I read this uh, every week, you write China Last Night. Uh, I know it's daily. I yeah. do my best. That's all right. But no, but I'll, that's, you're my source for okay. how I like find out what happened. Okay. So China Last Night is a, 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 a smart way to phrase it because for U.S. investors, all the shit goes down while they're sleeping. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, okay. Uh, and you have a pretty big readership on China Last Night now? It's been growing? Um, it, it has. I actually don't know the numbers. I've, I've actually never read it. Okay. Uh, it's somewhat ironic. I mean, I write it, so why would I read it? You don't it? need to read it. Uh, but I, it's, I think it's got a pretty good pickup. How are you building that audience? Well, first of all, how do people subscribe to China Last Night? We'll send them there right now. Just ChinaLastNight.com. That's it? That's so it. they don't have to go to the Crane Chair's website or anything? No. Okay. All is, right. it, is it on TikTok? Not on TikTok. We're on Twitter. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, like, uh, just at China Last Night. That, before yeah. before we get to, to Kai's intro, can I tell you something, Brendan? I was looking at one of your tweets today. You tweeted potentially big news for Neo and blah, blah, China malls extending EV tax break, and Twitter flagged it. Did you know, do you know that? I, I did not. Twitter flags it. It says there's a. It says stay informed. This tweet links to a China state affiliated media website. So mm. it's it's mm. interesting. This this a, a great great financial Chinese financial website called YK Global. They're they're based in Shanghai. I don't think they have anything to do with the Chinese government. Well, they might and not they have anything get, to do with it, but they're being overseen. Not by safe it. and sorry, I guess. I'm yeah, there's you. probably. I mean, there's probably censorship approval, maybe. But but it's 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 like they've got real reporters. They do it's good hard work, news, and right. uh, they're they got. They're shown on Twitter as like Chinese state media, which I actually don't think is accurate. Uh, uh, I blame Elon Musk. 
<laughs> so no, he's gonna get get rid of all that. That's that's what he's gonna do with Twitter. Like there won't be any more oversight oh, of anything. Sure. I'm sure. Uh, Kai Wu, Kai is back, ladies and gentlemen. This is your, this is your second time here. You're a veteran now. Kai, you were a very popular guest the first time. You were. Yeah. You get good feedback from coming on. You did, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was awesome. All right. Thanks so much. Kai is the founder and CIO of Sparkline Capital, an investment management firm specializing in machine learning and computing. Prior to Sparkline, Kai co-founded and co-managed Kaleidoscope Capital and was a member of Jeremy Grantham's $40 billion asset allocation team at GMO. Welcome back. Welcome back, Kai. Uh, you follow emerging markets or uh, Asian stocks at all? Or I know it's not like your primary focus, but like there's a lot of technology coming out of there. Yeah, no, no, as much as anyone does. I'm not you got to go closer to the mic for me. Not, right. a, not a specialist, though. I'll leave it to Brendan. No, I'm definitely not a specialist. <laughs> All right, so this morning I woke up, speaking of China last night, and the first thing I saw was China considers $220 billion stimulus with unprecedented bond sales. So what is going on? In a nutshell, as the world tightens, China's easing. Is that why the stocks are outperforming? Is that why all of a sudden Chinese stocks are outperforming the rest of the world? I think, I think, you know, when you say China, you almost have to differentiate between the A-share market, the onshore market, so Shanghai, Shenzhen, yeah. which is 90, 95% owned by investors yeah, we can in buy China. That. Right. Uh, you can through crane shares. Right. Uh, but you contrast <laughs> that uh, with the offshore market, so Hong Kong and U.S.-China ADRs. Okay. And, and I would say definitely the investors in China are more – you know, on top of this easing cycle coming in China, where a lot of foreign investors, they're more worried about the political, you know, U.S.-China political relationships, headlines, some of the regulations from the U.S., from China. So, so you have these two different markets that move very, very differently from one another. So certainly, I think the story for foreign investors, it's starting, they're starting to connect the dots that, you know, most central banks are tightening and China's actually going the other way. Are they doing that specific, like on purpose to go the other way? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, you know, you know, you think about you have global stimulus, you give people free money. What do they do with it? They go out and buy, you know, laptops, they Board buy apes. iPhones, Peloton bikes. Yeah. So Ponzi schemes, all yeah, kinds of stuff. Yeah, you're Simon. Right. Uh, so you, you're taking, you, you know, that that's kept the world's factory busy for two years. As that goes away, China's export-driven manufacturing is going to slow. So how are they going to offset that? Well, through you know, this in, you know, Bloomberg uh, News talked about this infrastructure deal, but they mainly got to raise domestic consumption, right, uh, to offset this weakness in part of the economy. They got to get Chinese consumers pick up the slack for the fact that the rest of the world is going to take a break from buying physical goods from China. Yeah, it's like everyone who – wanted a Peloton, went and bought it. Yeah. And so you're just taking five years of demand and squashed it into two. So things are just going to fall off. And so the way they do something like stimulus, they allow the local governments to sell bonds again. And then that money goes into infrastructure projects. So that will be infrastructure. But, you know, more, you know, I think the bigger issues are, you know, they've lowered their loan prime rate. They've lowered. What's their, the rate? What's the rate to borrow money in China now? Well, the 10-year treasury is about 2.8%. percent mm. Uh, so it's it's comparable to where U.S. Treasuries are. Uh, but Who are the buyers of their bonds? Uh, you know, 
for treasury bonds, it's all, it's virtually all in China. Uh, they do have an offshore bond market, which uh, dollar denominated bonds in Asia, it's a smaller part of the overall bond market, but that it is, you know, that, that's where that's, that market is dominated by uh, real estate developers, Chinese and Asian. It's done horrifically over the last two years because of Evergrande and concerns. But that's supposed to be a store of capital for Chi uh, Chinese businesses. Yes. Is to buy Chinese treasuries, the same as it's supposed uh, to be here. Oh, huge. Insurance companies, yeah, yeah. sovereign wealth, et cetera. Um, we're going to stay on China a little bit longer because I wanted to get your take on how they're handling the COVID and lockdown, lockdown off, lockdown on, yeah. lockdown off. Like, what is this bullshit? Because it's not, it's not helping the rest of the world. Is it helping them? Uh, well, it saved 1.5 million lives. Is that what we think? Yeah, yeah. If you take Omicron, so our lockdown saved zero. Uh, yeah, conservatively I mean, in China, there's skepticism amongst the elderly on getting vaccinated. Okay, so you take uh -huh. their population, or you apply Omicron to the elderly population. You you kind of, I mean, they did the math. It would have uh, run. It would have run through them. It, it would have killed a lot of like people. A, like a nursing home. Uh, like we had in 2020, like all the nursing homes got, got hit really hard. Yeah, I mean, they had said it would have caused uh, 15 times more demand for ICU beds than they have available. Okay. So so it's the West calls it a zero COVID policy. In China, they call it lives first. Okay. Now, I think what we're seeing is that post the Shanghai, the big lockdown, they're not doing as draconian dropped in. I mean, there's there's a full-on outbreak in Hong Kong, 3,000 new cases every day uh, for the you know, last few weeks. Xi'an, China, Shanghai. So they're doing more targeted lockdowns. So you could more residential district neighborhood okay, as opposed to I, shut city. I need my semiconductors at a certain point, right? So yeah. I'll give them another six months. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, this is like the issue though, right? The manufacturing is not keeping pace with demand. Because we rely so much on manufacturing in the region. Yeah, I mean, it's not just you know the stuff they make; it's they make the inputs that get manufactured elsewhere. Right. And and it's not so much you shut Shanghai down; it's more of the port got shut down. Truckers couldn't get the stuff through the city, so that's where it. it, it you know, we feel like the early read is that they're not going to do a mega mega lockdown like we saw. I'll knock on wood. Just we, we don't we don't know, but. If you look what's happening in China in terms of some of the COVID outbreaks, it's it's a different response than okay. what we saw. Um, last thing on this is China's tech giant crackdown over. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna throw some charts up real quick. John, you want to hit us with Tencent? Well, he's, yeah. Okay, here we go. That was quick. Good job, John. Um, this is like a huge drawdown in. Was this the largest stock in China at one point? Tencent and Alibaba were always kind of one and okay. two. Was it a trillion? Did it cost a trillion ever? No. Not no. Quite. They got close. It, okay. This is a 60% at its worst drawdown in Tencent, which in market cap terms is how much money? Oh, we're talking about- Probably 400 billion. I would say three to 400 billion. I mean, that's like enormous. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what else do we have? This is Alibaba. Same thing. Uh, down 75%. You Alibaba down 75%, I think in the United States would be equivalent to Apple yeah. being like as widely known and widely held. That'd be like if Apple fell 75%. Yeah. Well, that that's a little bit of, you know, the talk about the Asian currency crisis, right? Is that is that you have that sort of effect in terms of the price action of the stocks. Mm. And, 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 and the argument would be that what has actually happened isn't nearly as bad. Mm. It, it's just a lot of people have been forced out of the names 
because of the worries of China's internet regulation, because of things like tax loss selling and the ADRs, you have indiscriminate price sellers. Yeah. And, and so that's just put all this negative, um, you know, it's not, it's not fundamentally driven. It's just, it's just people, if you're an EM portfolio manager and you hold Alibaba, you're worried about looking like an idiot. And so it's, it's easier just to kick it to the curb than to try to defend it. Tencent went from a high of 950 in market cap, 950 billion to a low of 378. These names all bottomed in March. Yeah. Um, and so uh, this was surprising to me that over the last six months, they've actually dramatically outperformed the NASDAQ 100. Yeah. Now, if you zoom out, they've gotten killed. Yes. So it's it's maybe a little constellation, but they they did bottom much earlier. Let's, yeah, do, yeah. let's do JD real quick. Uh, John, just throw that up. And what's JD? Is this like the match.com? It's, like, Alib- it's yeah. like Pepsi to Alibaba's Yeah, coke. it's Alibaba's rival. <laughs> um, one more, uh, two more. Meituan. This is, what is what this? What is this? It's like delivery. Delivery yeah. listed in Hong Kong. Uh, down down 77% from high to low. Uh, or from, Jan- from, from, when is this going back to the highs? Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, you, if you think about it, like you had Archegos in February- of 2021. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Um, and that—that's really kind of kick kick things. And Pindodo off. down 87. percent This one murdered. Another another e-commerce. Um, you know, the number three player in terms of e-commerce in China. So, Brendan, all of these names are in in KWeb, which is—is is that your flagship fund? It is. It is. So, what were the conversations like for you and your team over the last? couple of months, I guess, particularly the, 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 the third, fourth quarter of 2021 must've been a lot of fun. Well, you know, to really <laughs> pour the salt, you know, you, you've got the trade war, you've yeah. got the tech war, you've got COVID, then you've got Archegos. By the way, stop. I have to stop you. I've heard Archegos, Archegos. I've never had an Archegos. So that's, I, a, that's a new one to me. Um, I'm just saying in my deep baritone voice, hopefully it sounds good. I have no idea if that's the pronunciation. Well, it's a made up f***ing word, so we can say yeah, what, yeah. we can say it however we want. Oh, sorry, I cut you off. Sorry, go ahead. So anyway, so, so just, yeah, yeah. I mean, for the team collectively, like it's, it's, it's been busy. Uh, but, but I think, I think, you know, there's been a void to fill about this, you know, the point of China last night for crane shares was a balanced perspective. And there's things that happen. You might not like the rationale, but but there is a rationale. You're not doing a nightly email cheerleading China. You're no, basically no. just talking about what happened in the market. Yeah, yeah. I mean, ultimately, you know, China is 18% of global GDP. If you own U.S. equities, you're highly exposed to China. Mm-hmm. Okay. That if you're really worried about China, then you got to be worried about Apple and Nike. When do you write this note? Do you wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning? Um, I wake up around— you know, varying on the day. I, I get up, you know, sometimes 5.30, 6.30. All right, you have uh, a lot to learn from Kai. He's okay. writing quarterly. <laughs> okay. I'm jealous. Two, two I'm o'clock jealous. in the afternoon, usually. Hey, Brendan, okay. Brad, explain this to us. So I've never seen this situation before where at the low, K-Web was in an 80% drawdown or 79.54 to be precise. And yet- the fund had massive inflows in 2021. Positive flows I've, with I've, negative I've, performance. I've literally never seen that before. It's yeah. usually kind of the opposite. Yeah. What? Can you give us some color? It's, dude, it's his voice. Imagine he calls you up. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're a, you're like you're a hedge fund that's allocating yeah. to Chinese uh, stocks and you're using crane shares and Brendan's like, yeah. Good morning. (laughs) We only do conference calls. Here's what happened in China last night. Could you give us some color on how did you do that? Because there's a lesson there. Well, I I think, A, it's the collective effort of getting in front of people and explaining what's happening. But it was about, 
Yeah, there's no alpha on a drawdown. Like, you know, on the charts you just showed. Like, you know, why would, why would you know, pay someone to own BABA versus JD or PIN? They're all going to make a it's, difference. It's a beta play. Right. So if you're tax loss harvesting out of the individual names, just buy KWeb. If you had hired active managers, you know, there's very little alpha. It's it's a beta play. You're, and then um, I think, you know, one one of the concerns has been this Holding Foreign Companies Accountable Act, the potential delisting. And we've converted, um, you, know, a, you know, a year ago, KWeb was 25% Hong Kong. Today, it's closer to 75. So just people are almost hiring us because of this potential delisting risk of saying, you know, maybe I don't want to or I can't hold Tencent in Hong Kong or yeah. Alibaba share class, like we'll do it for you. So, so I think some of it is people recognize that, uh, you know, for the last two years, we spent a lot of time in Washington, D.C., uh, trying to tell, you know, politicians, um, U.S. regulators that this delisting idea is a really bad idea. You're not hurting the Chinese government. You got $2 trillion of market cap held by U.S. investors and delisting the stocks does nothing to you know, hurt China. You're, you're hurting U.S. capital. What markets. was their response to that? Um, you know, I think I think you know the the SEC is the regulator. It's not their job to opine on the regulation or interpret it. They're the enforcement agency. So there's very little they can do. Um, you know, I think I think for unfortunately, you know, there's a push to potentially shorten the window for delisting from 2024 to 2023, which um, is still not, it's it's in, in one of these bills that, you know, so who knows uh, how that plays out. But I think in general, uh, the view in DC is, well, we're forcing China to deal with this issue. And that's a good thing. Well, that's true, but, you know, putting that they have a their, gun their backup, to the head. Their backup plan is Hong Kong listing, f*** you. Well, that's where it's, this is the, you know, we call HFCAA the Hong Kong Investment Banker Employment Act, that you're yeah. you're literally forcing jobs out of New York to Hong Kong. So then what do you do in that situation? All your holdings become Hong Kong listed issues? Well, we're converting. So, you know, we don't hold Baba US, we own Alibaba Hong so Kong. So you're getting ahead and, of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're wondering how he's doing that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're just- some notes. Well, if they start delisting all your stocks, it's like, well, wait a minute, what do saying, I- yeah. So yeah, I mean, I mean, I think I think ultimately the two sides figure it out because it's so embarrassing for both sides. Okay, but you know we recommend to people you know talk to your custodian, talk to your broker dealer. Can you hold a Hong Kong stock? Not all custodians, not all U.S. broker dealers allow that. So and, if they can't, and they want it, and they want allocation, like then they have to use a fund or an ETF. Correct. Okay, they won't be able to just hold the issues. Correct. Huh. Okay. So. That's not for a couple of years, and it sounds like a lot can happen between now. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, I mean, I think we're our view is we're optimists, and that we think the two sides, you know, this is a resolvable issue. Um, you know that that these companies, China should allow the companies to adhere to a global standard. PCOB does great work, um, and China for China, there's a for the Chinese government, there's a rationale for allowing this, which is these companies provide a great insight into China. And China's economy that, you know, you might not get elsewhere. So this, th these numbers are a little bit stale, but this surprised me. I don't know who threw this chart in here. Uh, this goes back to 2018. Apple derived 17% of their revenue from China in 2018. Yeah. It's a massive number. How much? 17. I don't think that's, that's not surprising though, because that's like their biggest growth market. Look, look, look there we go. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, this is where, you know, a lot of people, 
you know, we'll say like, oh, you know, I'm worried about China, U.S. China play. Well, our our view is, well, if if you're worried about it, this is what you should be worried about. Which which facet? Well, that that you own a lot more of these oh, companies. Oh, oh. Than- is this a fact? Is this a factor in uh, how how you're thinking about portfolio construction? Like, are you worried about overseas sales for tech companies or overseas domicile? It's not something we focus on too much. Okay, how come? It just kind of washes out, I guess. Um, we're trying to look at the things that the, the drivers of, of kind of macroeconomic and politics are really difficult to predict for us. Not for me, but for, yeah. for you, I, you I got, got it. Brennan's got it. Yeah. For me, you know, for our algorithms, right, we're focused on fundamental value. So brand, human capital, network effects and IP. And yeah, like obviously over, you know, certain periods, politics matters, but it's just very difficult for us to, to know. And you, you know, can't to, quantify to, it. You can't quantify it. And to some extent, like the, the discounts, right? So like obviously EM stocks rated the discount. I mean, the reason why in part, right, is to bake in that uncertainty, that risk premium. And we're just saying, look, if markets are at least somewhat efficient on this dimension, we can safely ignore it and let it just be noise in our models. So, I mean, there's going to be big price movement, but like it, you're saying like that'll happen in both directions. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's inter- a systematic the, bias one way or the other. The interesting thing is that those names have no, had no beta to, you know, Trump tweets to U.S. political. Which, which, which all, names? All, all of those names. That, that only the China names would trade based on tweets. But, but you would argue that th- th- these companies have a you're beta. U.S. So US companies with yeah. high China exposure. Yeah. So Tesla not- in 2018, I'm sure the numbers are different today, but Tesla had 25% of their revenue. That's a huge and, and the number. trailing 12, yeah. Oh, so it was 2017? Uh, no, that, that's from today. Oh, uh, wait, what? This looks like it's... Uh, it says sales generated by U.S. multinationals in China amounted to $376 billion oh, oh, in 2018. Oh, okay. so, Are we talking about different charts? So so the, those, uh, the table is different from the quote. So the quote- Here, came, here we go. Yeah, yeah. So so the, this quote came from uh, the New York, uh, the Fed here in New York, where they, they run a blog called Liberty Street Economics. And they did a, they wanted to quantify what, what has the trade war done. So this is from, from back in 2018. They basically said you've got $376 billion of U.S. companies, mm-hmm. uh, revenue is generated in China. And th- this was kind of the point where China says, we don't have a trade deficit with the United States. That, that the U.S. definition of trade is something, you know, you build it in the U.S. and you put it on a boat, but you have all these U.S. companies that own factories in China yeah. mm. that then sell in China. So, so China's view is, well, if, who cares where Nike's plan is as long as Nike's selling to the Chinese. Right. So if you take... The 376 billion added to the trade deficit, there is no trade deficit. Right. You know, ar- arguably the US and and so so the New York Fed was saying But right. Apple's doing 370 Apple's doing 300 so uh, total revenue. 66 billion revenue in China. Yeah. So then on the bottom was uh working with Morningstar, we were able to kind of quantify these numbers. So this is this is uh the table of stocks is this is the trailing 12 based off their last quarter's earnings, according um, to our friends at Morning. You know, it's so funny. Amazon, only 5% of their revenue f- is from China and that's $25 billion. It's like, crazy. And that's only 5% of their revenue. Yeah. I mean, the interesting one, I mean, the energy ones are interesting. That's weird. Chevron, 19%. Well, I would not have guessed that. The Texas is now the largest exporting state to China, overtook California. Is that right? And that's LNG, oil. Oh, okay. Exxon Mobil's building a multi-billion-dollar petrochemical plant in China. They're actually like number one in like, you know, synthetic lubricants and like gas, you know, in China. It's interesting. 
Uh, do you own any of these EV stocks, Kai, in your portfolios like Neo? Uh, what's L? What's we, Li? We, we uh, Motors? Lee Auto. Yeah. Lee Auto. Well, okay. we we don't because we're uh, we're U.S. focused. But okay. I can tell you, we don't own Tesla. We don't own Rivian. Um, I think the pure play EVs um, on our metrics seem overvalued. Okay. It's like, look, like for example, like Tesla, they have a they have a good market share right now. They have a first mover, but it's not like GM and Ford and so many of these other companies cannot. They're, they, they're able to figure this out. Right? But like, aren't you like big on the intangible stuff? Like, yep. isn't Tesla's brand worth? Or, or like, is that? Are you saying that even that part of it's overvalued? Yeah, we're, yeah, we're saying that Tesla has a formidable brand. Um, they have, um, you know, great IP, great talent. They're really ahead of the curve on pretty much all these dimensions, except that their market cap is greater than all the other auto companies combined. <laughs> and so it's like at at some price, like it's just not worth it anymore, right? And then in Converse, you have the legacy automakers who are, you know, a, f- you're a few years behind, admittedly, but they also have strengths to their name. They also have brands. Um, you know, Ford and GM, they also have, you know, actual manufacturing capacity and, and um, technical ability there. And they're actually coming out with new models, right? F- Tesla has not really continued to, to push the R&D ball forward, unfortunately. So when you're looking at stuff like this, are you looking at like patents and copyrights and all that sort of stuff? That um, uh, yeah, we're looking at that. We're looking at who they're hiring, like what sorts of like skill sets do their employees have in terms of, you know, say, uh, full, uh, full self-driving and things like that. Um, and, and yeah, we're seeing actually interesting like a uh, growth of talent and um, IP into some of these legacy firms, and they're trading at you know such a such Wait, a cheap do any price. Legacy, do any of the legacies make the cut? For- uh, yeah, so For- Ford's in there. I think GM might be in there too. So you have Ford and GM and not Tesla, and the main reason is just like price. Um, the price. Right. It's like you know okay. the idea of disruption at any price versus disruption at a reasonable price. And for us, we care about like you know the price we're paying for these things, and just because. Tesla's a great company, which in many dimensions it is, at some price it becomes, you know, untenable to hold. On a back test, was there a point in time where Tesla would have been a holding based on that and it's just launched out of the stratosphere? I don't think so, no. Okay, it because it's always been expensive. Yeah, ever since it kind of came out, it's always been expensive. Okay. Uh, and again, just, to, I'm, I'm just not to belabor the point, but you're not looking at like book value type stuff. Like you're looking at next generation type metrics and even still – Right. Like giving all the credit to the network effects and the whatever, like even still. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're doing the best job we can to, <laughs> to make it easy for Elon to get into the portfolio and he still manages to, uh, to mess it up. Right, because it's next-gen metrics, but then there's a multiple on those metrics. Exactly. And Tesla's expensive on everything. Right, because people just love the stock. I mean, they have a huge following um, that just yeah. – there's so much hype around, around the stock. And it is a good company. It is a great company, but you know, again, at some price, you just can't, just can't hold it. Is anybody asking you for an international version? Like like the ADRs that trade in the U.S. and they meet the requirements, but they're just foreign domiciles. So I don't know if ADRs themselves give you enough breath, but there has been like um, requests to, to launch like parallel products and like IFA and so right. developed um, um, developed international yeah. and then emerging markets. And I think I've said this before, but one of the really cool things about all the uh, the um, machine learning techniques that we use is, is we use statistical natural language processing. And what that means is that in order to port the models from, say, English to Japanese to Chinese, mm. it's pretty easy because yeah. all you need to do is you don't need to go there and hire boots on the ground, hire a bunch of linguists and experts in those languages. Instead, you can go out there and take, you know, the Wikipedia sites from, from Japan or whatever, right, or the entire Japanese internet, feed it into your models. It retrains on that language, and you're pretty much good to go from there. Hmm. So I think there's a lot of capacity to kind of take strategies like this and scale them yeah. um, abroad, and especially into these more, like, long-tail countries where, like, I don't know, like Thailand you, you brought up, right, where, you know, may not be a big enough market to, to justify huge uh, teams mm-hmm. of analysts on the ground, but, you know, it, 
can, can be done and, and definitely gets, gives you an advantage um, to be able to speak the local is language. Is all the same data available like that you would – the machine learning is reading something. Yep. So do all of these companies overseas or all of these countries, is it standard to track the same metrics that you're tracking for U.S. companies or is anything missing? It, it, it'll vary by country. So, okay. you know, obviously there's the equivalent of the U.S. You know, patent office, right, in like Europe, right. for example, but like not in all I countries. I believe it's called lay patent office Le. <laughs> in, in Europe. Okay. That's right, yeah. But you can get a data feed on it and right, you can yeah. figure out I how think, you want to you know, read it. Local news sources are easy. Company communications are easy. And then the, obviously, as you know, filings are kind of – Completely different okay. depending on the country. Okay. Because I'm thinking like a crane shares by Sparkline collaboration, China Innovation Fund. I'm just I'm just spitballing. Just just spitballing. <laughs> <laughs> we can uh, make it happen. All right. Uh, this is the week that innovation bounced. I think, Mike, ARC is outperforming the S&P for two weeks now. I mean, this is a very short time, but over the last five days, ARC's up 12%, 12.5% and the Qs are up four. How much is ARC off the lows? Do we know? It's like 20 it could be more. Yeah, it could be. Remember we were like, you can't come back from down 80%? Can't come back. Never you'll say need, never. No, need no, no, no. The price, no, 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 no. Arc, <laughs> Arc will, I don't want to say never make a new high. Um, it's so far but down. But like, yeah, yeah. I, it might never make a new high. It's it's so far down. Uh, but this was a big bounce. Yeah. And I don't even know what stocks are. I know Tesla is still in the top five, but uh, I don't think right, it's- Over the last, again, five days, so whatever. Barely any time. You've got Gingo Bioworks. I don't know if she holds it. I think she might. That's up 14.5%. Moderna's up 12. Datadog's up 11. Teladoc's up 10. Zoom. Uh, Roblox is up 10. Rivian's up 10. Wow. Okay. So they don't go straight down, or at some point they stop going no, they down, do. at least for no, a little they while. Do. They've gone straight down for a long time. It's these been are, a long time. <laughs> yeah. February 21. These are all down like 70% minimum, right? Some are down 80 and 90. Okay. Like literally. Yeah. Uh, what What's this next chart? Show me this. Why did, uh, lesson two after PE reset, earnings revisions. Oh, this is great. Sell-off. Okay, this is great. This is from Kotu. This guy, Eric Newcomer, has this awesome sub stack. And somehow he got access to, to a deck that they were putting together. What we're looking at is phase one, two, and three of um, a PE reset, earnings revision, and, and sell-offs. So what they're looking at is the NASDAQ 100. Or in the NASA composite. Oh, this is from the uh, dot com. This is from the dot com. March two thousand. All right. So phase one, you've got you've got the trailing twelve month PE, and you see in phase one that's that's the first to, to go is multiples compress. Okay. Then in phase two, you see earnings revisions. Mm. Then you start to see earnings revisions come down, and I think we're getting there. We're starting to see some downgrades from companies, which are analysts are way behind the ball there. And then finally, you get capitulation. So look what happens, though, in capitulation. You have a rebound in PEs probably because earnings are dropping faster than stocks for a little while. Mm-hmm. But then they both catch down with each other. And I don't know. He didn't want to do the bounce. <laughs> he didn't want to show I how th- this I just thought that this is a really interesting way yeah. to, show, to show the process. Again, you have the PEs mushed, and then you get the downgrades, and then you just get it all. So but what's interesting about this is the timing that we're looking at it because earnings season starts next week. We really have not seen meaningful S&P 500 earnings revisions lower. Mm-hmm. I know that the estimate has been lowered, but yeah. like that could be – this phase two thing could be the thing that's about to start yeah. now. Well, I, I think that's what a lot of institutional brokers are starting to talk about is that the – 
you, you, you got to start bringing some of these estimates in and that's you know only going to raise but the thing the, is that they're not getting that guidance from like S&P 100 companies well, like Apple and Microsoft earnings estimates for for uh from analysts has not budged like mm-hmm. literally still at all time highs and that's like 12% of the S&P Google, I don't know what the earnings contribution Google's come is, in but, a little bit I guess they're more sensitive to the economy with advertising money yeah um I'm very excited to see what these companies say well, I, I just wonder how much TikTok is eating the lunch of the Googles and Facebooks, Facebook, yeah, Snap, uh, Snap. That you know, clearly in China, you know, in the China space, we see it that it comes up on the earnings calls where they say, like, you know, we're competing. If you're Alibaba or Badu, you're competing with TikTok in China, and and it's definitely a big, big threat. Kai, why is TikTok killing everyone? Like, do they have the smartest algorithm or the smartest employees? I know you're not like a TikTok analyst, but like, are you seeing anything in your data to suggest why they're just killing everyone? Well, I think it's all about attention, right? At this point, like, we're all competing for eyeballs, and TikTok is the most addictive. Um, their short form videos are addictive and then they're I refuse to download it I refuse it will not be on my phone yeah. you, you guys have just, it dude you could just end up in a loop that do you, you have it out of. do you have it dude I'm a user I'm yeah. a creator on everyone TikTok. go follow the compound on TikTok do yeah. not do it <laughs> do not for your own do mental it. sanity do it do it now um, Kai are you on TikTok um, I have TikTok I have not ever produced any content he's a viewer I don't know how to dance yeah <laughs> I don't either we, we put we put content from this show on there but um, oh, so I am on TikTok then yeah Right, so Kyle, you did, does you, very well. Five, six hundred people watch. You, you did this amazing post a couple of months ago, breaking down like where are where are Arc's returns coming from? From innovation, from from X, Y, and Z. What did you find? Yeah, so the, the big question there is, you know, people are like, hey, innovation stocks are down 80%, innovation is dead, we're never gonna come back from this, etc. And so the the question was, is ARC really innovation? Is that what you're buying when you buy ARC? And what I was able to do was take the, um, the returns of ARC and decompose them into a few different pieces. So kind of the most important ones are um, this innovation factor, which is, you know, exposure to innovative technologies, AI, robotics, genomics, et cetera. The second category are your standard, like, Fama French, what they call it, like, style premium. So these are, like, value, growth, size, quality, momentum, you'd say. Um, and then alpha, right? And so I guess the, first, the, the bright spot was that she has that alpha, right? Relative neutralizing for all these other factor exposures, it turns out that she actually has managed to pick stocks and beat this benchmark in, in excess of her fees, which is really good. I mean, she, she found Tesla early, right? That's a hard call to make. As I was saying, my models couldn't have picked that out. Um, right. Everyone was, it was overvalued, you know, based on trailing metrics, and she kind of correctly foresaw the future. Great. Um, the, and then other first two, they have both contributed to her returns. The innovation factor has been kind of the biggest contributor. It's been one of those things that she, Arc, has been long innovation as it as 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 is her brand, and that's done really well. And by the way, like the way I constructed this factor was, I went back and like looked at two hundred plus years of patent data, and was able to find that you know when you see technologies trend in like the patent literature, like you see the rise of like the railroad or or you know electricity, the steam engine, those things tend to continue. Right? Technology tends to kind of build on itself. And so it's it's kind of pretty easy to predict the future by just looking at the past and saying, let's run like a Google trend style algorithm on the you know clusters of patent technologies, which we use like machine learning on the pat- on the abstracts to define Same. through time, right? Yeah, Michael that's how does I did that it. way also. That, that, that's how you look at the technology. That post was so good, I wanted to punch a wall. It was unbelievable. <laughs> so wait, so, so your finding though is that she actually did have both alpha and was benefiting from... 
uh, innovation as right. as a factor. Yes. Like not as a buzzword, but like pat- the number of patents. How do you look at that per stock or per what? Yeah. So what we do is we don't look at the number. We look at the type of patents. So we look at all the abstracts of the millions of patents and classify them into technological groupings like AI, right? And then we say, um, at any point in time, what are the trending technologies? Because it changes each year. Mm. Like every year is a little bit different. Like cloud computing was not a thing 30 years ago. Um, today, that happens to be the case. And then what we were able to say is which companies have exposure to the trending technologies. And that's you know, easy to, to glean off of who you know, is making those patents. And that gives you like a grouping of companies for each of these kind of thematic baskets, you know, AI companies, robotics companies, et cetera. And then you can look at the performance of that, those baskets as if it were an ETF, let's say, um, you know, diversified across many, many stocks. Um, and then you ask the question, which is, are the companies that she's buying, you know, exposed to that? And then something changed though. Like all of a sudden she went from making innovation bets to just betting on glamour stocks or so, – right? Like that's the main finding that you came up with. Right. So, that, so that's what happened. Wait, which John, is, let's put this first chart up while Kai talks. So, so look, look. I said there are three different buckets. OK. So look at this. Um, so the gray line is the uh, performance of the ARK ETF right, okay. where it went up and then went Big down. Big round trip. Okay. The, the, the blue line is just the market. Um, so you can kind of put that aside. Then there is in the green is the innovation factor. So it's easier to see just in the table, right? You're seeing what 4% annualized returns, mm. um, you know, on 5% vol. So it's a 0.8 sharp, pretty good. And then um, the yellow line is her alpha. And then in the red line, that's style factors. So what that means is this is her exposure to your traditional kind of well-known value, growth, size, quality, these, these sorts of things. It got, cut, it got more than cut in half. And yeah, look, basically it, it was a helpful thing to have up until, you know, the peak and has basically explained 100% of the drawdown, right? It's a 50% hit. So when you say that, you know, ARC has lost money, what you really should be saying is not that innovation stocks have lost money, but that um, junk stocks and expensive growth stocks, unprofitable tech, so to speak, yeah, yeah. Ha- have lost money. She started betting, wait, she started betting in, on Robinhood and DraftKings. And Coinbase. DraftKings. I don't think and like, Coinbase. Coinbase. So DraftKings probably doesn't rank highly in patents, for example. No. But is that the only way to quantify an innovative company, so, or well, it's an important way? It's it's one way. So what we can also do, right, is look at, as I mentioned, like the filings. You can look at like the ten Ks. Hey, so what do they actually say they're doing? Are they are they saying they're doing AI? I mean, of course, anyone can say it. So you I'm have doing to be a little bit careful. AI. Yeah. But I mean, if it's in a, a regulatory filing, you know, they can't fudge it too much. Um, you can look at the um. The, the labor market. So look at who they're hiring. Are they hiring folks who have you know TensorFlow um, on, on their resume? That is probably a pretty good signal that they actually are putting their money where they're. What about is. social media mentions? Like, would you look at social media uh, of of DraftKings versus versus their competitors and say like, is there any sort of uh, signal there? Yeah, yeah, we absolutely look at that. Um, and um, I mean, that's more in the brand dimension, so it's a little less. Um, Less about like are they innovative or not, but I mean that's certainly a component of you know when we look at the four pillars of intangible value, the brand dimension is is one of those why, four things. Like I know like she's not here to answer for herself, but why do you think? Um, so I have a guess. I think it's size. I think she got so big that she had to start making bets on twenty and thirty billion dollar market cap glamour companies, just because. To just like continuously bet on innovation, she would have had to go lower and lower in cap size mm. 
and almost turn the fund into a small cap fund. So, um, but then she would be like twenty percent of these companies. Like she'd be filing thirteen Gs every day <laughs> if she was going to really keep doing I the mean, innovation. At bet. her peak, that was a that was a big concern that she was such a big percentage of some of the smaller stocks in her portfolio. What was the size of this thing at the peak? Fifty. Arc, I think the it was, flagship. Yeah, yeah. 40, 50, right. So, you, so then, you, then you become a big percentage of these companies, and that nobody really wants to do that if they can help it. Yeah. So, so I think I think that's part of it. I think there's so I think there's two. When I say there's style factors, it's really these two things that have caused the kind of meltdown. First is unprofitable, so junk stocks you would could mm. say, and the second is growth or expensive stocks, i.e., not value. Um, and I think what you've seen is that. You know, the, the exposure to quality has been consistently negative the entire way through since inception. So it's not like she's changed anything about the here investing style. I wouldn't say negative quality, just money losing companies. Money, she, she's willing to put her money into companies that don't have any positive cash, have no no earnings, sometimes no right. revenues. Quality, so a lot of people who are not quants or yeah, yeah. not familiar, like they would assume like, oh, that's a low quality stock, meaning it's a piece of shit company. That's not what we're talking about. We're saying like quality of balance sheet and income statement. We're saying like speculative stocks. Yeah. Let's say it's speculative yeah. stocks at a really early stage don't have like any, you know, stable or robust earnings. Which Tesla would have been a low quality stock for most of the Until last 10 years. Until it wasn't, yeah. Until it wasn't. But right. like that was so, – So it's not obviously a bad thing to do. I mean it's a bad thing to do on average. Like <laughs> It's a bad thing to do with 100 percent of your money. Yeah. The, 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 <laughs> right. the quants will show you that, you know, quality factor. So if you just on average bet on – more profitable, stable um, earnings, high ROE companies, they tend to outperform low ones. But paradoxically, the best performing companies are the low quality Start off as low quality. Well, because there's more upside. There's more asymmetry. Like if you can get in and find Tesla before it becomes a a big deal, you can make 100x. You know, you're buying a company that everyone knows is a pretty robust, like high margin company. Colgate, Palmolive. Yeah, you're you're not going to be able to. I think Facebook coming public is a low quality. It's a marquee brand. It's a blue chip social media company, but like on a factor basis, right? They're losing money in that transition from desktop to mobile. It was not a quality forty billion dollar market well, the cap. Stock right. got no killed. Well, and even the Google's IPO was the same way, right? That, that, uh, people were trying to short it at the IPO. Dude, Apple's IPO got blocked for Massachusetts residents. Yeah. The Massachusetts securities regulators said nobody living in the state can invest in the Apple IPO. Um, Netflix transitioning from mailing envelopes to uh, streaming definitely would have been a low-quality stock like, um, on every metric. John, throw so. this next chart. Th- this is interesting to me, Kai, that not only did she generate positive value on the way up, obviously, but even on the way down, and I know this doesn't really help her investors, <laughs> but she has- she 4% alpha versus the benchmark. She has underperformed just a benchmark of non-profitable tech. Right. If I were to- strip- What is the benchmark? Lottery? The the benchmark is is, is, a, is a basket of companies with the factor exposures that are equivalent okay. to what she has historically had in her portfolio. Okay, got it. Right, um, and so it's you can see here it's you know thirty percent of her drawdown was due to the companies being on average junkier, twenty two percent on average more expensive than than the market. Right, so those two things combined are really kind of the the, the that's big half drivers. her that's half her drawdown. It, wow, half her drawdown is there was no value in the stocks, or that like they were overvalued. Right. Another way of saying it is like when you buy Arc, you're buying like two things: you're buying innovation, but you're also buying um, expensive junk stocks. Right. And the thing is that like for the first five years of the of the back test, like the value and the junk and growth part didn't really matter. It was kind of like came out in the wash, right? And then only more recently with interest rates being hiked and, you know, people starting to care more about cash flows and, and, and things like that, 
are these things really coming to hurt her? So we're getting more or less of, a, of an everything balance today. The only thing that's right on my screen are bonds, but you've got ARC up 6%, XME, who, which got killed, is up 55 Semis are bouncing bigly. Um, and Bitcoin, oil. Yeah, everything, every, everything. I call this an everything day. So um, <laughs> Buy all the things. Adam Parker from Trivariate Research, who we've had on the show before, um, showed that two thousand the second quarter that we just lived through was, I think, the 18th or 19th worst quarter uh, ever. <laughs> and that is... Oh, shit. The, 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 the years on this list are not great. You've got a lot of depression. Um, you've got 2020 Q1 uh, COVID. You've got 2008 makes an appearance on this list one time. Uh, what else is in here? 19- 2002, which is right. the WorldCom, Enron, all that bullshit that ended the, uh, the that bear market. You've got a 1970 and 1974. I mean, this is a bad list. This yeah. is like- 87, uh, 1987, 1974, 29. A lot of these years were in the 30s and 40s, I yeah. noticed. Yeah. Right. So, so there's some pretty bad company to be in. So we don't Q2. need to overthink why are stocks why these stocks bad. They just fell ninety yeah, percent. Yeah. So the worst. Okay, so they wait, can, Mike. The what? worst quarter ever is not Q four nineteen twenty nine. Nineteen thirty two. Because that was the double dip. That's when they, you know what they did. They raised interest rates. These maniacs. Well, they didn't know. They didn't know, and then they did tariffs. Two two stupid things. So they had, they had no – we only know because we look at that and say, all right, don't do that. And the president <laughs> at the time, the president during the Great Depression, like, would not acknowledge <laughs> that things were bad. Yeah. Right. Well, we had to deal, we had to deal with the Nazis. But can so. I – don't you think you could, you could replicate ARK's performance, just levered NASDAQ 100? So NASDAQ, if you were to run NASDAQ through the same kind of apparatus that I just showed there, you would find, yes, it has a beta of like 1.1 or whatever. So it's a high octane index mm-hmm. that it has exposure to, to growth and to, um, and to uh, you know, low, low profitability. But you, you, you wouldn't, I mean, you, you wouldn't get the same exposure, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. I mean, the, I wish I had the chart up there. But if you look at the, this innovation factor that I put together mm. where you just like try and trend follow what sorts of technologies are trending and buy stocks that are related to those things, mm. that thing is when you strip out all the exposures just in a pure factor basis is like almost a straight line up. Look at this. Huh. I'm, looking at, I'm looking at the TQQs and ARC and I'm looking at a five-year period and they were basically – they basically followed one another. So the TQQs, I don't know if that's – Two or three times levered Nasdaq. It's double Nasdaq. I think it's du- okay, it's double. So again, like neck and neck, right? From basically what the was bo- that break? From the bottom. This is that was the top. From the bottom in 2020 through the top in 21, and then something broke in March of 2021. They completely went. They completely diverged. Meaning that's when the the double Nasdaq started to outperform. That's when Arc started to massively started underperform. To underperform massively. Underperform. Be- I think that's more of a size thing. Mm. It could be a size thing. It could be because, and, you know, NASDAQ has the Googles right. and Apples. And, but well, didn't Tesla have an amazing 2021? That's why this doesn't make Tesla sense. Tesla did. Well, that's where I think one argument is that, you know, it's interesting. You know, most active managers historically have want, not wanted to use a transparent ETF wrapper. That, you know, if you have an alpha, you, you want to hide how you, you know, because people and she can, did. She had it. But, but, but the argument would be that, by buying lower quality names, it's almost like a reverse Ponzi scheme. You tell everyone what you're buying, and then they go and drive it up. But, yeah. but you've already bought it. It's diabolical. So, so like, like it's it's a reverse. Well, reverse. Because, yeah. because the trades are always. After, I want to say pyramid scheme. I want to say pyramid scheme. 
more so, reverse pyramid scheme. Because like you're recruiting other people to rec- – well, you're not asking them to bring in other yeah. people's Is money. Is a pyramid and the Ponzi the same thing? No. No, my friend. No. A pyramid requires you to actually be social and get other people to be social. A pyramid is a pyramid is like mm. the makeup on Instagram. Got it. So it's not enough for you to you, buy you my lipstick. Your, you bring your yeah, money. Yeah, I also yeah. need you to fill your trunk with lipstick right. and go uh, sell it to your right. friends. And I've recruited you, and so I'm higher in the pyramid than you are. I see. And I'm building my own little mini pyramid beneath me. Um, a Ponzi is just like I took Kai's money last week. I promised him ten percent, so I raised money from Michael today to give Kai back his money. Right. And then that just builds on itself until I. Yeah, but it's no different than like you know when Berkshire Hathaway files their 13F. Like, right. it's like oh my gosh, he raised his. So this is that on this is that on steroids. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, and so, he, this so, is that on steroids. So in other words, the mechanism is she buys a stock at three o'clock. But wait, that was not her intention. No, 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 uh, no, 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 yeah. no. We're not saying that. Yeah. No, people are doing this to themselves. She buys a stock at three o'clock. It becomes part of Ark's holdings, and if it was a new position, then it really gets discovered mm-hmm. on social media. Because people get excited about what she's buying. And she's doing that in the name of transparency. Right. But then people are Muppets and they're like, I'm buying it because so-and-so is buying it. And that could feed on itself. But then it works in reverse. Correct. It's hard for her to get out of a stock. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, because 100 shares moves a stock, right? Yes. If anything, she's doubling down, isn't she? What do you mean? Like she's not selling out of the stocks as her ETF is going down. She's actually kind of doubling down on these positions. That's called a martingale. No, it's not. I think she, <laughs> you know what? I think she spent most of this year doing what most people would do with a portfolio, concentrating into favorite names. Mm-hmm. When you have redemptions, but you're still, you still have a job to do, you're, and you have 20 stocks, hypothetically. She has more, but like anyone. You have 20 stocks. You have $10 billion under management. You get hit with redemptions for $2 billion. So now you have $8 billion to work with. You're not looking for your 21st favorite stock. No. You're getting rid of the five that you just sort of like. Yeah. And you're constant, you're, it's called circling the wagons. Yeah, yeah. Everybody does this in every profession. Yeah. It's like when you're in trouble or when you're under siege or when you have money going out the door, you don't want to do the 20th best thing. You want to just greatest hits, right? Think about a yeah. restaurant has too many menu items. And they're going out of business. You know what? Everybody likes the cheesesteak. We're going to double down yeah. on the cheesesteak. We're going to put it at the top yeah. of the menu. Two variations. Did you guys know that, that Tesla's no longer her biggest position? Yes. Well, Zoom is, right? Zoom is. Yeah. I think that's. I wonder if that's just natural market dynamics. Zoom's actually been holding no, up pretty okay. No, she's made sales of Tesla oh, and really? has added to Zoom. Okay. Yeah. Right. Well, how about that? Um, all right. The market just closed. All right. Not a bad day. Not a bad day. I just want to return to this real quick. In Q2... Apple lost $636 billion in market cap. <laughs> it's almost like the money is fake and just exists on a computer screen. Well, that's exactly right. Amazon, <laughs> $578. Tesla, I think it was, I think Tesla had its worst quarter ever. I'm not positive. Tesla lost $415 billion. Google, $400. And then on the other side Let me of that. See this. I shouldn't have to ask, but I'm going to ask is a $636 billion yes. one quarter drawdown? Yes. The biggest yes. in history for any individual yes. stock. I, don't, I can like just guess confirm that, right? It has to be. Okay. I mean, that is. It has to be. That is just. I mean, what was Enron or WorldCom? No, no, no. They were never that. No, they were never but that nowhere. Yeah, yeah. They might have. Those might have been eighty billion dollar companies at their peak. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Maybe. So that's. I mean, this is just, the no, the numbers it's are staggering. The numbers are staggering, right? <laughs> and the stock wasn't even down that much. It was down twenty percent. How much was Apple down? 
Yeah, probably. I think it was in a 20% drawdown. So you've got uh, so $2.5 trillion in lost market cap between Microsoft, Alphabet, uh, Tesla, Amazon, and, and Apple. Two and a half trillion. Now, where the money? Since the GFC low, <laughs> don't don't say it. <laughs> from the GFC low, <laughs> yeah, that yeah, the market today is up six hundred and forty percent. At the start of the year, wait, what market? It was up eight hundred. What market? S and P five hundred. No, it's not from the GFC. Oh, the GFC. I'm sorry, I was thinking okay. twenty twenty. I remember what was up the Dow at seven. Now it's up six forty. The Dow bottomed at uh, sixty five hundred. Yeah, yeah, where did the S and P bottom? Six six six. Six six six. Right. Uh, so how much were, are we up from the low of the great financial crisis? 640%. Even in a 20% drawdown or 15, where we are but, but, but that was, we were up like 800. Mm. Right. And now, now it's mm-hmm. 640. Uh, okay. Pivoting. But I don't get it because 800 minus 20 is. <laughs> <laughs> Pivoting. <The> compound show. <laughs> uh, nice. Voyager Digital filed for bankruptcy this week. Do I have to like spend the time reading about what this even is or was, or like, is it not that important? It doesn't seem, Bitcoin's rallying on this news, so how important can it be? And chapter 11 sounds like they're not liquidating it. They're going to try to find a way to keep Well, operating. Bitcoin's not rallying on this news. The, this, this news has been in the works in the works for weeks. Okay. I think if anything, Bitcoin is rallying on the what fact is that what all, is of this? Us, all of risk assets are bouncing and Sam Bankman-Fried has came to the rescue. But it, it's it's not a rescue if it goes. It's not a rescue for shareholders if it goes bankrupt. But it's a rescue for the users. Like nobody's going to lose any. Nobody who's using the platform is at risk. I don't know. No, about people are going to lose think, money. Yeah, they are. You're saying like user accounts, people that have Bitcoin on the platform are going to lose money. So there's two things. So BlockFi is the one that Sam Bankman Fried uh, through FTX yes. um, backstopped. So far, it looks like they'll be okay. So uh, FTX subordinated themselves to the depositors. And have an option to basically buy out the um, uh, the equity holders of BlockFi for like a pretty low price, like a ninety percent discount or something. Okay, but the so users, like the person that owns one Bitcoin and it's sitting Again, on the like, platform, not investment advice. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah probably yeah, yeah. fine. Um, okay. But you go to Voyager, totally different situation. So okay. Voyager, the reason they're screwed is because they made loans to Three Arrows, right? and Three Arrows was in turn screwed because they um, made a long leveraged long bet on Luna. Right, so you can kind of see how this inter- industry is so interconnected. Like it's like the GFC, or like mm. you know, you mentioned LTCM all over again. Yeah, it's dominoes. Right, we're trying to figure out who's and who's holding the bag at the end, and it looks like Voyager and its customers are. So Voyager walked into a bankruptcy court and said, Three Arrows owes us six hundred million dollars, and we but we have one point three billion in customer deposits on our platform, and we have X hundred million in cash. That's our current condition. That actually doesn't sound that bad. They had to file for bankruptcy, though. Why? Like, was that part of the rescue package? Like, I'm trying to figure out, like, wh- what is the so they, they went out, causing so them I to think have to be I was bankrupt. reading the, the, the Matt Levine article was saying that they went out and shopped the business to fi- try to find a white knight to come in and, like, buy, buy them, basically. Whatever. The, they were just so upside down they couldn't? They, no, nobody, nobody bit. Yeah. Um, they were looking for crypto native firms who kind of were in the industry. Nobody like w- went for it. nobody wants yeah. that that hedge fund debt that they know is never going to be paid. Mm. Well, basically, like what people are saying is, I value the business at zero. So you're ju- you're just telling me that I'm going to come in here and bail out the depositors. Like, why would I do that? Yeah. Um, so what ended up happening was they went into this. Was it Chapter Eleven? They went into the bankruptcy to kind yeah, of b- like buy more time, have, have, 11, have a stalking horse like. in order to kind of figure out what their next move is. Right. Um, and then in this case, Sam bankman fried did actually try to bail them out, but it didn't work out in this case. Okay. Right? So it worked out in Bla- BlockFi situation so far, right? In the Voyager situation, it was really weird because this Alameda, um, this is a hedge fund, right? They ha- so they, they are a client of Voyager's. 
So they basically, you know, have they borrow money from Voyager, use it for the for the trading activities, and um, they're also a equity holder in Voyager. And now um, they double know, Sam's going in and saying, "We're now going to give you a credit facility as well." So it's like three things now. It's a Here's little bit a quote: "Confusing." Alameda seems to be wearing every possible hat in Voyager's bankruptcy as a creditor, shareholder, and borrower. That's very. There is a general weird. phenomenon of a lot of recycled capital within crypto. <laughs> And this is an example of that. So Sam had a yeah. good quote uh, he gave to the journal. He said, because to your point, Voyager, he's, you know, that didn't work out. He said, if your strategy for trying to extend a lifeline to companies in need results in you never doing it to a company that files for bankruptcy, then you probably weren't doing your job. I guess he's talking through from the vantage of a distressed investor, right. which I guess he is at this point. Yeah, it's like if you're a doctor and you see 10 patients and one of them dies, like that's your job. I mean, it sucks, but that's what you're paid to do. Right. So, all right. So th- this is something that – is this the end of the line for the current leverage unwind? Because you seem know. to say they like s- – They said that the, the worst seems to be behind us. Who the f*** knows if there's another like to but, drop us? Can I ask you a question? And yeah. this is no disrespect to anybody in the industry, but like has anybody seen the books at FTX, which is saving everybody? Does anybody know the liquidity at uh, Gemini and at Binance? Like not really. So like we're – so in other words, you could run around being the white knight and like bailing all these companies out or trying to. And what if like there's nothing behind you? How would anyone know? They're not filing <laughs> SEC. Like right. it's not – this is not Bear Stearns or Lehman Brothers like where at, like you even know what the player is on I the board. I think that the leverage unwinds so quickly that it would stand to reason that if there was more cockroaches, like they would have been – they would have been out, out at this point. But I'm just – I'm making the point that there was a moment in the financial crisis where people like Dick Fold at Lehman Brothers were like actively and publicly talking about bailing other motherfuckers out. And I don't know if that was like a strategy. Like worry about us. We're, <laughs> we're going to – Distraction we're, technique. Right. I don't know. And, I, I don't, and I'm not saying that's what's going on now. But I, what I am saying is Lehman was public. Like we knew what their but we, nobody we, really knows. But well, we didn't really know what Lehman had, right? So much of it was off balance sheet, right? These weird SPV things. That's right. They would take it. They would take a huge loss and put a uh, loss, a liability, push it off the balance sheet, file earnings, and then pull it back. So they would pay somebody to take a black hole off their hands. But it was like a predetermined. All right, and we're going to take it back sixty days yeah. later. Which sounds like fraud. It sounds sketchy. Called Repo 151 or something like that. Somebody probably should have gone to jail for that. But the CFO was like a very sympathetic character. And she was like new to the job. And I just don't think there was an appetite to jail mm. a woman and leave all these men out of it. But like she she clearly, like of all the people, did something that was so obviously fraudulent. Mm. I mean, she was directed to. Right. But yeah. like, well, the, you know. Who was the Enron... Uh, Skilling? Oh, he, Jeff uh, Skilling. Skilling was the, C- who was the, Ken the CFO. That's Skilling. No, no. Um, Star? No, hold on. James Kahn? No. I, I forget. He he went Andrew to jail. Fastow? Fastow. So Fastow. He, he, he was uh, CFO of the year. And the next year Killing he was it. in jail. Yeah. A meme reversion. All right. But so the, oh, but the, so the 08 analog, I think it's very apt. For this kind of, I mean, it's on a much smaller scale and off of Twitter, really, nobody on earth gives a shit. Um, but it's like 08 for Twitter. Well, I, for I th- Twitter. I think the, 
Yeah, like one out of three people on Twitter are crypto people. Oh, right? I think it's like, oh, I was going to say for the companies, it's like the 1907 panic. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. a back run. <laughs> right, right. No, I'm saying for spectators, uh, uh, uh. if you're not on Twitter, none of this is on the news. Like, I, nobody knows who Sam Bankman Fried is in America. The other day, Only my, if you're the on other Twitter. day my, when we woke up, I looked at my wife. I'm like, you have no idea what's going on in crypto. You don't even know. I think actually what you said was, you poor son of a bitch. I said, you, a- you dumb bastard. That's what I said to my wife. <laughs> <laughs> but you didn't actually say it. I think there's a billboard driving into the city with like Giselle Bunchen, yeah. um, with like an FTX logo. My wife goes, who's that? Like, she, right. goes, she goes, who's FTX? Oh, it's uh, FedEx. Right? Yeah, like, why, why does, why does Giselle work for Sam? I don't get this. Right? So, all right. So if you're on Twitter, you know who Sam Bankman-Fried is. You know what 3AC means. You um, you know what Voyager is. You know what the price of ETH is. You know this shit. If you're off Twitter, none of these things compute. Right, which is the reason, like, why in the GFC, the Fed, you know, and even LTCM, the Fed bailed out all these companies or helped orchestrate a huge bailout. But the Fed doesn't care about what's going on in crypto Twitter, no, right? So no. that's why you have the you have this guy Sam you went better. Who has to do it. The, he- the the Secretary of the Treasury in 08 was the former CEO of Goldman Sachs. Right, <laughs> Hank Paulson. To Hank Paulson, a world without Goldman Sachs existing is unfathomable. It's like impossible. There's nobody uh, in any position of authority at the Treasury, at the Fed, or SEC. in Congress, yeah. or SEC. Don't you think Gensler loves this? That's like an alumnus. Oh, it's, it's just Brian Armstrong in the secretary don't, position. Don't you think yeah. Gary Gensler loves seeing this? He's like, see? Oh, he loves this. This is why we're- Yeah, this is why. I mean- yeah. This is this, this is, is a, it's a huge opening for the regulators. They're going to come in here and look at like um, you know BlockFi and Celsius and be like, so you guys are holding yourselves out as a quote unquote bank offering yeah. savings accounts and then going out and acting like a hedge fund. Like clearly, we need to regulate this well, and you also, have millions of deposits. Well, let, let, me get retail investors. let me get this yes. straight: you're a customer borrowing money, and you're a shareholder, and also you're a lender to them. What the hell is going on? Why are you lending and borrowing from the same equity uh, from the same company? And that you're also a shareholder in. It's it's like a carousel of of money. Well, that's what this guy said. It's like recycled capital. Kai, right. what are you seeing? Because you do a lot of work here. Like, are you like when you analyze, I don't know if you're doing some on-chain work or whatever, or people going into the industry, are you seeing in the data a dramatic slowdown? So yeah, you mentioned a really important point on-chain. Right. So don't think back to the GFC analog. We have like the kind of off-balance sheet SPV things that no one knows what's in the kind of these kind of black boxes. And then we have like the audited like financial statements. I think the same thing is happening here where you have on-chain, you have like DAI and Maker, you have the ability to actually look at where the which accounts are holding the money. And you know, you can see Celsius repay um, you know, uh, in, in in many tranches their loans on Maker. But then anything off-chain due to these centralized entities, whether they're exchanges or, or um, crypto lenders, it's, it's very opaque. And it's even worse than in traditional finance because you don't have the, the financial audits on these firms. There's no, and there's no rules, really. So yeah. you, have, you have no idea what these guys are. Well, so because I, between BlockFi and the hedge funds sits Genesis. And so BlockFi is giving to Genesis, but they don't know what's going on or who their counterparty is or how many counterparties are interacting and basically all of the exact same risk exposure. Right. There's right. No reg- and they were all exposed. So th- there's no reg NMS in crypto. You do a trade with somebody. There is absolutely no requirement that that person on the other side of the trade or or that the market or exchange in the middle of the trade is providing you with the best execution. Right. Like none of that shit exists in this yeah. world. So I think the big irony is that when crypto kind of came about, the whole promise was everything will be on chain. Like it'll be like you know it'll be like the, the CFTC, like these clearinghouses, and everyone kind of like 
you know, there's no counterparty risk. It's trustless. It's everything is is in the open. You can kind of go there, use your chain analysis, and kind of audit like forensically who's stealing the money, like where the money's going, etc. But what's happened is that you've built this, you know, because of many limitations of of the decentralized model, such as like additional costs and things like that. You've ended up with a, a huge edifice of intermediaries um, that are effectively like you know prime brokers and, um, you and they're know, all centrally controlled centrally companies. controlled companies, but with less regulation. And so right, you actually end up in a place that's worse than if you had- They look like Wall Street, but with no rules. Right. Because they're sitting in between all of these transactions or housing the transactions internally, and they're not taking place on a transparent blockchain. Right. They're happening, hmm. who knows, like over a phone call. Yeah, so I, th- so I think the hope is that we learn from this like crisis like any other, right? We you know, put in regulations like we, we did in 08 and you know, before that, um, that you know, just makes sense, you know, kind of clear out some of these issues. And we also, by the way, you know, hopefully we'll see kind of a clearing out of the deadwood, right? Like it's kind of like the analogy to the forest fire where we have all these things, like 9,000 tokens, like a lot of them are crap and they shouldn't exist. Do you know, um, you, you can start the FINRA of, of do you, well, I was going to say, do you know what the two most important rules are for the traditional securities market? Mike, do you know what they are? No. The two most important, the Securities Act of 1933 and the Securities Act of 1934. And they were written 90 years ago, and they still govern, like, almost everything that takes place in the securities markets today. The timing's not an accident. In the, 1920, the 1929 crash and then the, 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 the ensuing depression through the 30s, they basically went, okay, somebody should be in charge of this shit, and there should be some rules. Yeah. And that's how you get the Securities Act of 1933. And when you go to take a Series 7 or a Series 65 – that's literally what you're learning. So well, that's right. I think you should do FINRA, right? You know, FINRA is a self-regulatory organization. Well, FINRA was the NASD, which came along at, with the advent of the NASDAQ. So believe it or not, that was once part of NASDAQ mm. was mm. having – the NASD was like – because all of a sudden you had all these independent dealers right. dealing with each other on a network as opposed to the exchange, which was members. So it was the National Association of Securities hmm. Dealers, okay. which then became – Merged with the New York Stock Exchange's securities arm and became FINRA. But basically, it's a, but it regulates its own members, which doesn't really exist in. Well, also is an SRO. It's a self-regulatory organization, which you know people have philosophical issue with that. But we don't have an SRO even for crypto. So not only do we not have federal oversight, um, and the banking regulators are out to, they, they have they have no standing yet. Um, there's not even really a serious attempt amongst the companies to self-regulate. The, what's the organization that regulates crypto? Does it exist? FTX. <laughs> At this point, right? But but think about think about that in the traditional securities world. Um, if there if there was no, no attempt whatsoever, even at a Finra and a self-regulatory, so that's where we are still. Right. It's so early, so bullish. <laughs> so anyway, um, Tesla is no longer the world's largest uh, electronic vehicle manufacturer. Electric. Electric. What did uh, I say? Electronic? Yeah. Electronic. Well, <laughs> they, make toy, yeah. they make toy cars. What is? What BYD. Is, what is it? BYD. But isn't that just batteries? No, they do buses. Okay. That's uh, Berkshire Hathaway has been invested in that for like Since 20 years, 0- right? 08. Oh, my God. Okay. Or 08, 09. What, do we have the, John, we have a chart on this? It, it, it's it, to me, it, it's it's remarkable because after they bought it, it actually got chopped in half, and then it didn't do anything for ten years. Wait, so wait, BYD is worth how much? Uh, well, they've got a Hong Kong one trillion and Hong a, Kong dollars and a 
China, and a China A. I can't believe how big that thing is. Yeah, they've done very, very well. Okay, how did it get so big? Well, they were very early in um, electric vehicle buses. That was kind of, and then from the buses, they you know, developed the technology and realized the batteries were kind of part of the gold. Right. So now, now they're selling the not only the buses, but they can actually sell the batteries to other. Is that the only thing Berkshire Hathaway's invested in in China of any, of any consequence? I think at the moment. I saw Charlie Munger get asked a really tough question about, like at the height of the Ch- uh, Chinese concerns when there was a lot of harsh Biden rhetoric. So I think this was during Daily Journal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know how he's like, he yeah. does the sit down thing? Yeah. So somebody asked him a question about how could you like allocate money to China? Like how could you allocate US taxpayer investor money to China? Because he oversees um, both Berkshire Hathaway and Daily Journal's investment portfolio. And he was saying, like, we should not expect the Chinese to have an identical society that we have, number one. And number two, wouldn't it be better if the U.S. and China were against the rest of the world? Like, in other words, like, imagine a partnership between the U.S. and China. Who the hell could stand against that? (laughs) Like, just like thinking of the world that way, which nobody ever does. But what if the U.S. and China actually had a partnership? now, he's obviously biased because he's got investments in it. But um, I would imagine somebody like yourself probably thinks uh, that that would be a better situation than the current situation. Yeah, I mean, I think— I know it's pie in the sky, but I'm— Well, you know. yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, they call it like a G2 world. Right. That, you know, like— A G2 the, world with like a healthy uh, agreement on the big things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 I think, you know, one of the—you know, the U.S. and China kinds have never been more intertwined than today. Right. Uh, politically, you could say not, not, not so much, uh, but business people are getting along just fine. And I think U.S. companies in China are doing just fine, right? We showed, you know, the Apple and uh, the Exxon Mobiles and, uh, you know, that, that's where there's some, I think, almost hypocrisy. People will say, you know, oh, this about China, that. And then it's like, you know, they're typing that on their iPhone. Right. <laughs> and it's like, well, get, who, where do you think that thing came from? Uh, I want to do, uh, before we get out of here, I want to do ETF trends through the first half. Um, some, some interesting stuff going on. Michael, what are we looking at here? Um, kind of the boom and bust of thematic ETFs. A lot of this is driven by, by ARK. So if you back that out, I'm not sure that there's really much there. Have you guys heard about the new, uh, there's a night ETF. Have you guys heard about this? Yeah. I saw that. Um, where they basically, so I forget who first, who first documented this, but a lot of the returns happen outside of market hours, which isn't that shocking considering that's when most of the news happens, gap right? Gap ups, gap downs. Yeah, most of the news happens outside of market hours. So there's a fund, and I'm kind of surprised it took so long for somebody to do this, where essentially they're buying the close and selling the open. Yeah. Your oh, thoughts. That's so small. That's so genius. <laughs> Wait, how, so you so on a gap down day, what happens? To the, does the ETF trade throughout the day? And you're just down? They're buying the clothes and selling the open. They're doing it with futures contracts. I don't really know the mechanics of how they're doing this, but Kyle, you, what do you think? Bullish? Look, I, I think, I mean, I, I haven't studied this myself. I mean, we when I used to run my, my last um, CTA, we did strategies like this. We, w- we would like um, trade reversal and mean reversion into the close and at the open and around option expiry. Um, I haven't looked at this overnight effect. What I've read about it, what I've heard about it is it has to do with like a risk premium associated with market makers holding inventory overnight, right? Because if you're gonna if you're gonna own the mar- if you're gonna buy U.S. stocks at four, right, and hold it until nine thirty the next morning, you should get paid for ba- that. If bad news happens over the night, that could be bad. There should be a premium connected to that, right? 
And people try not to do that, especially day traders, prop traders. If they can help it, they don't want to go home long positions. Right. Therefore, you should get paid if you're on the now, other side. Now, almost of always, that would you, be the see, argument, you yeah. see back tested strategies that fall on their why face. Are you shake, why are you yeah. shaking your head? You don't like it? I'm just trying to figure out how many Altoids Michael has in his mouth Sorry. right now. <laughs> a, I believe that's called the cheekful. He's got a cheekful. Um, I'm I'm curious to see whether or not this like erodes that I don't want to know. I don't know if it's alpha or whatever the hell you're calling it. Yeah, I don't think it's big enough to. I don't think it can. I think this is more of a structural thing. But I'd be curious to see how that works. Yeah, I'd be less worried about. Sorry. No, I was just. I, I would think it would work more. You know, close on close on Friday, open on Monday. Because that, that you know, you really don't want to hold it on over the, week, the weekend. Over the weekend. Versus I'm, I'm just super overnight. bearish on Tuesday, so I think that's a good point. How many ET, <laughs> how many ETFs have you built uh, at Queen Shares? I think I think we're up to over just over thirty, including okay. European listed. Okay, so uh, so a lot of the, the funds in the U.S. you have a European version. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So all right. Another so, uh, interesting note. This comes from ETF Trends. Year to date net inflows the most popular category. And it's definitely been a minute that this was on the leaderboard where dividend ETFs and ultra short-term bonds. The ultra short-term bonds totally make sense. And I guess dividends too, because defensive stocks have done mm. much better. We were talking about like year-to-date gains and losses, or I'm sorry, Q2. So some top uh, adding market cap companies were Eli Lilly, Merck, ExxonMobil. So I guess that makes sense. Um, yeah. Worst performing ETFs year-to-date. It's got to be ARK, no? Excluding leverage and infer- inverse. Crypto-related Cannabis related. What else? Fintech innovation. All three are ARC products. Oh, SPAC yeah. related. Meme related. So basically mm-hmm. like a complete reversal of 2021, which happens all the time. All right. So the bottom four, blockchain, digital transformation, Bitcoin miner, Bitcoin uh, crypto, which is, I guess, uh, what's BitQ? Bitwise. That's a bitwise. If you have to ask, you can't afford it. <laughs> um Skybridge Crypto, <laughs> Alarian Crypto. Yeah, anything crypto. It's a who's who of shit. No, but look, oh, the, uh, the DSPAC ETF, year-to-date return, negative 64%. If you own the stuff up top, you need the stuff on the bottom. You, well, you need your psychedelics, your cannabis. Your psychedelic ETF. <laughs> I saw that uh, in the second quarter, I think ETH lost 69% in the second quarter, which is nuts. That's horrible. <laughs> oh I didn't God. realize that there's more than one cannabis ETF. The uh, the median market cap of cannabis companies are like it's like three hundred million dollars. Yeah. We need multiple that's ETFs. In ca- for that's this. in Canadian dollars, and that's in yeah. Canadian dollars. What and was it, the big one? Tilray. Yeah, I think it's the biggest one. It's definitely it's definitely small though. So I don't, I I was not aware. Uh, put up this chart on uh, feast or famine for thematic. It's interesting that all of the thematics are getting hit at once. Uh, I don't see space on there, but I bet it's. I bet it's somewhat in the in the in the mix. Although it maybe it owns enough like uh, Boeing and and uh, uh, defense stocks that it's okay. But like that's all Arc, no? Yeah, no, how much this, of this is Arc. No, no, no. This is all of the funds. Yeah, but I'm saying Arc is the biggest thematic. Global thematic funds trailing 12 month flows. Uh, they were 250 billion dollars in early 2021. And they have fallen to somewhere around $75 billion. But still pretty, still not bad. You remember Tilray was the first meme stock. I remember Rosh Hashanah, 
it was 2018 and this name started going ballistic. I don't remember what the catalyst was, <laughs> but it was probably not Rosh Hashanah was probably not the catalyst, but <laughs> having to hang out. With I remember family. where I was at that point. <laughs> so it ran to $41 billion in market cap. It's under two today. But That was another it's one of these uh, newly public short squeeze thing. There've been a it million It was like the those. original, not the original, but of this era. Like I watched, uh, what was the camera co- uh, IPO? Oh, GoPro? GoPro. Oh. GoPro went disaster. Go, GoPro went from like ten to a hundred to zero. Oh, is it? I shouldn't say that. Uh, it might still trade. What still about like the three D printers? Right, but these were major short squeezes. So, Josh, you're right. Like. At the IPO, GoPro uh, went nuts up to twelve billion, and now it's eight hundred seventy million. Uh, Beyond Meat. Me- sorry, sorry, no offense. Uh, <laughs> Beyond Meat was one of the big uh, post IPO squeezes that we've seen. So Duncan, been- Duncan, you still holding? Oh yeah. Yeah, it was good while it lasted, but yeah, I'm still holding. Uh, all right, are we doing anything else on the CTF thing? No, what do you, what do you what do you guys feel about the state of the ETF business right now? Like things are the market sucks, but you, everyone seems to be holding up. Yeah, yeah, not heard any drama. I mean, I think I think there's a big home bias in the U.S. I think um, you know it's almost like some of these um, investor sentiment surveys. Like everyone's bearish, but they've never held more U.S. equity, and you know that's where you know you can have. Yeah, from this GFC being up 800 to 640 and, and no one misses a beat because you're still up 640. And right. uh, that's where I, I, you know, I would think, you know, the market does what's least anticipated. Most people hold little to no non-U.S. because, you know, over the last decade or, you know, 12 years you know, anything outside of the S&P 500, the more you own, the worse you did. Yep. And if yeah. you're on an investment committee or you're an advisor and you got to meet tough. with your clients, yeah. you, you whittle it and now now it's zero. But and what's, you know what's, what's interesting? the market's going to do? It Whew. doesn't take five years of overseas outperformance to get people interested again. Yeah, I think it takes like four quarters. I think one year – of inter- and it's never happened in 10 years. One, <laughs> yeah. one, um, I asked Michael to run this calculation for me from 2012 through the end of 2021, so the last decade. Calculation. Uh, 16.5% returns for the S&P, which is 360% on your money. Why would you be looking elsewhere if elsewhere looks like 70% returns, 90% returns? Yeah. But one one year that's good for international and just okay for yeah. S&P. And it's game back on. Well, here's here's one uh, yeah part of my notebook. Uh, <laughs> okay, so since since the low, S and P five hundred is up six. It's, like, it's like Ryan Gosling sitting here with the, with the notebook. All right, go go. go. Uh, can you tell my wife that? Yes. <laughs> um, MSCI emerging markets, uh, GFC low. S and P is up six forty. MSCI EM is up one ninety one. Yeah. MSCI China is up one ninety one. But here's here's like our take on it is that. If you looked at MSCI emerging markets 12 years ago, 14 years ago, MSCI China 14 years ago, it was all financials, energy, industrials, materials, and real estate, all value sectors. So you go into this decade of growth stock decadence, and the big EM benchmark, the big China benchmark is all value. Uh, so is it is it that EM and China were out of favor or just that the broad benchmark, you kind of got what you paid for? And to prove that would be, well, what's a growth sector in EM in China? Well, obviously tech. Sure. So MSCI emerging market tech, again, S&P 640, EM 191, China 191, EM tech was up 724. Okay. 728, I'm sorry. 
China tech was up 2,260%. Wow. Now, the problem is like 14 years ago, EM you tech get exposure and to China that. tech was like, you know, like 20 bips or something, you know, I mean, you know, 200 bips. So you had to go out and you had no exposure to it. And, and well, I'm one of the people that thinks classifying stocks by what country makes no sense when you consider that almost all of the out or underperformance stems from sector industry. Well, yeah, that's it. So I, I still don't know why portfolios are constructed that way, but they just are. And it's like a convention that mm -hmm. many people have accepted, but it's just not, not that you have to be in the top performing industry only, yeah, yeah. but like if you were starting from scratch, if you were starting our industry asset management from scratch, you would not do it with a, a, a fucking heat map. Right. <laughs> yes, with the, with the globe. It's, yeah. it's like meaning. It's like meaning. We had, yeah. uh, we had Lindsay on the show two weeks ago. Here's some adventure capital decks, pitch decks. He's like, he's like, if you were raising money for a startup 10 years ago, you had the whole world and you would say, these are our growth opportunities. He's like, now half the map is black. You're not going into China. Definitely not going into Russia. It's half the map. Mm. So we're or, building or India. Right. So we're, but we're building portfolios uh, based on countries um, when we know that the difference in performance is coming from industries. Yeah, what's yeah, in favor, yeah, what's not. We yeah, know it. Yeah. Every look at every uh, country. Uh, I wanted to finish with what I thought was really funny. It's not. It's. But now that I say it, and you guys are in the room, it's more tragic than funny. Uh, did you hear the one about the ninety-year-old Morgan Stanley broker? Okay, he shot his partner multiple times in an Oklahoma City branch. It was a sixty-one-year-old colleague who was supposed to be the guy that was inheriting his book. So I just thought that this was, I mean, it's obviously a tragedy. Um, I don't think he's dead, but uh, no, knock on wood. So for 20 years, the 90-year-old has told- was like, I'm going to leave soon. Yeah. I'm on my way out next year, I swear. I swear. <laughs> well, 20 years ago, the 90-year-old- 70. This is, all right, this, uh, here, police, let me set this up real quick. Um, a 90-year-old Morgan Stanley broker has been accused of shooting a colleague multiple times in Oklahoma City branch office. Police say Leonard Bernstein- Bernstein in uh, Oklahoma. This is already suspect. Uh, <laughs> walked into the office last Thursday and shot Chris Bayuth, 61 years old, several times before driving away. Bernstein was later arrested in a traffic stop and charged with shooting with intent to kill. Witnesses told investigators that Bernstein and Bayuth had worked together for nine months and the elderly oh, man was handling, handing his accounts to the younger business partner. Uh, it's unclear what went wrong. I know what went wrong. The international allocation. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, 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 one guy said thirty percent. The other guy said thirty-five percent. Uh, why are there ninety-year-old uh, brokers handing their businesses off to sixty-one-year-olds? Shouldn't it be like a team of thirty-year-olds? Like, doesn't the, the, servicing his ninety-year-old clients? Like, aren't, no, but no. aren't we doing succession for a reason? It's not like yeah. Hey, I'm going to hand you off to this gentleman who will also be retiring very quickly. Yeah, uh, very soon after. Uh, and I'll shoot him to make it faster. You know, <laughs> yeah, we'll accelerate, oh, accelerate. We'll get rid of this guy. Sorry, you uh, you worked at uh, BlackRock iShares for how many years were you there? I mean, going to the BGI days, it'd be like thirteen. Okay, but I actually have a great Jeremy Grantham story. Tell it. Let's hear it. Okay, this so, is the time. So two thousand, the beginning of two thousand eight, the Hartford CFA Society. Uh, you know, BGI, iShares, we sponsor it. So we get it, we get a table. The first speaker is from the New York Fed. This guy drove up, does his little shtick about, uh, you know, the yeah, there's some some 
issues out there. Oh, but is we're that, is that what's his name? I it, it was not it was not the head of the New York Fed. This was like an underling. Um, okay. And he does his little shtick about you know we're we're you know there's there's little flare ups but we're we're, we're transitory you know, we're on top we're you know contains we're on top of it and um, he walks off the stage and the next speaker is Jeremy Grantham and, and Grantham everything gets, that guy just said is bullshit yeah. that's exactly <laughs> what he said he he was like you're all gonna die he actually said it's a good thing that guy's leaving because I'm actually gonna eviscerate him that we're headed into a global crisis and. The world's about to end and banks are going to go bankrupt. I actually, because we had sponsored, I went up to him after and I said, uh, you know, like I'm Brennan, you know, with uh, with Barclays Global Investors. And I just had a question for you. And totally- Am I going to have a job in six months? Yeah. <laughs> so he said, you work for, for Barclays. And he's like, you should get your resume ready right now. Mm. And they actually survived. Uh, well, Sort of. Barclays Bank, you know, basically sold BGI and iShares to BlackRock. Worst sale of all time? Is that, is that, how, they, is that how they survived? They That's had how they avoided being nationalized. But then they bought Lehman. What the hell is that about? Well, it was just Bob what Diamond sh- was, you know, he was a banker. And so he, you know, saw this, this is the opportunity to grow Barclays capital. You can take over Lehman Brothers and yeah, you get the whole building for free. And, uh, but yeah, yeah, Jeremy Grant, yeah, absolutely nail it. I mean, he was 100%, you know, he called it. Uh, it was pretty amazing. I wish he would stop calling it though. Like I, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's all I'm saying. No yeah, disrespect. Yeah. Don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no disrespect. Anyway, uh, I asked you that question that you were at iShares of Black. You must've walked into some offices where there were some 90 year old brokers walking around or financial advisors. And you're just like, what am I going to get accomplished here? Like you must have walked into some. Uh, well, you know, I was trying. I was branches. trying to think that you know when we first met, uh, yeah. you and Barry were over by. No, I don't talk shit about Grand us. I want you to talk shit about other people. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm actually going to tell. Actually, I remember that we were at 90 Park Avenue. No, 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 no. Oh, no, no. No, you oh, were like we were off 44th, of Vanderbilt. We were, Street. We were on. What's you were between Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt, and Madison. Yeah. yeah. We were on 42nd, 44th, no. 44th, 44th and 5th yeah. Avenue. Yeah, yeah. And I think yeah. you may have just joined. Okay. Uh, yeah, you were there on Michael's first day. No, but <laughs> <laughs> you came up and you were like, you were like, hi, I'm your, I'm covering you guys for iShares. Let me see what you're doing with your portfolios. And we were like, about that. Uh, because we were not very settled yet. I mean, this is uh, 2012 or something. It, or Probably before that. Or 2011. So we were just not like 100% in agreement even internally on what we wanted our portfolios to look like. But you were just like, guys, I walk into some of these RIAs. They have like 30 CFAs running around picking stocks. They don't ever beat any benchmark. It's all a big elaborate show to impress the clients. Like, you know, what if, what if we were to just like start from scratch and look at ETFs versus any of these other options, which don't make sense. But I remember us having that conversation. Well, I, I think I was most impressed with you guys. The, like the team was like, we're doing this thing called a blog. And I, I was like, what's, yeah, I mean, yeah. I had moved from San Francisco and I was like, what's a blog? Yeah, we were, you know? we were, like, we were freaks, no freaks in the industry at the time. But but like, it was like, no, 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 like, we're going to write. And I'm like, and you know, you're going to try. You're like, no, no, we're going to give it away. And like, we're going to get clients by trying to educate uh, them. Oh, you thought we were like a newsletter. Like, what do you mean you're writing? Oh, I was just like, I was like, this is like a foreign concept. <laughs> like, uh, but, but, you know, you fast forward and, and, you know, you created this incredible thing. Like it's, uh, and at work, at work, people at Ashes were like, why, why are you going to go see those guys? Like they run no money. 
And I was just like, no, oh, no, really? no. Who said that? Well, it's just, <laughs> well, it was just more of like, you know, the bit, you know, you know, I share. Larry about, Fink said that. Don't go, I'm don't not, go waste your time with those guys. I, yeah, I would never bring you up with him. Okay, uh, no. Uh, it's more of like you just do the math. If your eye shares are so big, yeah, like, yeah. how do you move the dial? It's it's not talking to you know a small RIA. You, you, you got to be talking to the biggest RIAs, the biggest asset managers to see. To they the should have focused on our patents, and then they would have known like we were the next. We were the next thing. Uh, BlackRock eye shares were always very good to us. Yeah. Include up to this day. We have a great relationship with those guys. Yeah, so it's incredible what they've built. A hundred percent. We're we're uh, we're happy customers. Um, it's really hot in here, so let's do favorites, and we'll let you guys escape the room. We're gonna have a, we're gonna have a talk about the temperature in here, Duncan. Uh, shortly after the show, I'm comfortable. You're okay. Yeah. Oh, maybe it's maybe I'm not it's hot. Just, I don't control the weather, uh, dude. I'm being recorded right now, and I'm glistening. No, we got to figure out a we got to figure out a solution for the next two months. Prima donna. Uh, I really am. Here's my favorite. I'm going to start first. And then, uh, uh, hold on. You watching this show called The Bear? Everyone's talking about that. You know, yeah. Nobody? Nobody in the room? What about you? Nicole? Nope. Nicole? Not even I Nicole? I saw it advertised on the subway. Listen to me. Listen to me. It's 22-minute episodes. It is like one of the best new shows that I've seen in the last five years. It's like a chef. Do you like cooking, like food? I like to eat. Yeah. yeah. It's like a chef in Chicago who worked at this guy. I think somebody told me he was on Shameless, which I didn't watch, the actor. Um, he, he was a chef at 11, 11 Madison Park, which is the best restaurant in the world, uh, or used to be. And his brother kills himself, so he has to move back to Chicago ah, and yeah. take over his family's sandwich shop. But he wants to elevate the sandwich shop into, like, more than just hot dogs and, you know, cheesesteaks. Mm-hmm. Why do they call it the bear? I still don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm only f- I'm five episodes in, and they have not explained this. It is such a great show. All right, I'm going to watch it. And it's really, really fast-paced. The right. I was thinking of you when I was watching it because the way they shot it looks like uncut gems. Mm. Like the camera's shaking. Like you don't really know who's – they're all talking at once. It's like very frenetic, okay. which is my kind of yeah. – anyway, that's that's my rec this week. It's on FX or Hulu. What are you guys getting into? Um – I actually uh, opened up Spotify for the first time in a while and Look at you. Went, went on the Joe Rogan podcast. Um, uh, Mark Andreessen was on. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Huh. I got through about half of it and then I was in the subway and then Spotify can't handle like buffering. Was it nine hours? How, how long <laughs> it's like three hours or something, but so far so good. It's, I mean, Andreessen's been in the game for a long time. He, Does crypto come go- up at all? Do they get there? Yeah. He alluded to it, but we were about fifty percent of the way in. It was it was AI and ex machina, and um, you know the Google engineer who like thought his like his uh, AI was real. Yeah, um, they talk about like the history of computing and like going all the way back to the early days. So yeah, it was kind of fun, fun jaunt through history. I would definitely listen to that. Yeah, uh, you got to listen to a lot Brandon, of commercials anything to, get, idea? to get there. Yeah, though. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm reading Malcolm Gladwell's David and Goliath. Mm. What year is it? Uh, I, have no <laughs> I have no clue. Okay, uh, but, but it's why? Excellent. But no, great. Just why, out, right? why are you reading that? Because you are David. Uh, I, well, you know, if you're fighting, you're challenging uh, yeah. uh, the big bohemus in the asset management industry. Uh, it, you know, I've always en- I've loved his writing, and I just was stuck in an airport, and I was like, hey, I've yeah. not read this one. Okay, and, uh, but but it's excellent. All books are better in the airport. I I we were we were talking about this on the show last week. I rewatched True Romance. Duncan, did you watch it yet? I have not yet. Okay, absolutely flawless. Holds up Hell's like up, okay. like uh, nothing. I mean, what a what a movie. He what didn't, take, a he didn't movie. take our word for it yet. 
Apparently no, not. I, honestly, it's not free on any streaming, so yeah. I just haven't broken down. And I learned yet. today that Michael never saw uh, Scent of a Woman. Yep, that's a big hole in my repertoire. It's like a top I've, five Pacino. I, I haven't seen that one either. Uh, how, how, wait, how are you involved in film? Come on. <laughs> All right. Anyway, add that one to your list also when okay, you're done with we'll that. Do. All right. Uh, listen, you guys have fun today? Yeah. That was excellent. Yeah? Awesome. All right. We all learned a lot from each other, I feel like. Okay. Yes? Okay. I feel like I didn't bring much to the table today. No, you would definitely. You would <laughs> definitely. You, you would. No, but you, you did have the charts, and we needed that. So, hey, uh, guys, don't forget, for the latest in financial blogger apparel, check out idontshop.com. We're probably going to be pulling those beach towels off pretty soon, right? Nicole, What's next? What do you think? Hey, like, What's well, uh, not in summer yet? Yeah, but I, I feel like if you haven't bought one yet. like, you What are we doing it. for the fall attire? I don't know. Something pumpkin spice. Brainstorm. (laughs) All right. We have a little bit of time to plan that. Sean, great job today. Thank you so much. Duncan, great job today. Happy birthday, Nicole. Happy birthday, birthday. Nicole. Thank you guys for listening. New Animal Spirits podcast every Monday and Wednesday. New Portfolio Rescue with Ben live 11 a.m. Eastern every Thursday. And thank you guys so much for listening. Make sure to leave a comment. Make sure to leave a review. We will be back with you next week. Have an awesome weekend.